All right, hello everybody. Today is Wednesday, time for the AMA. That's the Ask Me Anything. Welcome to the show. This is the day where I respond to your questions and comments. We go through them together, and we have a discussion. But before we begin, I would like to just drop a couple of announcements. The first is that I recently obtained my copy of The Last Days of August by John Ronson. This is covering the death of adult entertainer August Ames. I did one episode about her recently. Well, recently. It's actually been a year and a half. Yeah, but that's, to some people that seems recent, but yeah, 18 months ago I did an episode on August Ames, and this is um, a book that I've been looking forward to. Because it's an audible original, some sources are even describing it as an extended podcast. It's about three hours and 43 minutes long, and then when you think about that, is it like Anytime you listen to a lengthy podcast, is that the same as reading an audiobook? Maybe yes, maybe no. But um, the one that I did on the suicide of August Ames, which came out last year in 2020, was a case where I read like three articles, and I was so just overwhelmed with ideas and emotion and ways to respond to them. I just immediately jumped to the recorder and did my response, and that is not a good way to do anything other than running your mouth on the internet, but I definitely have wanted to read this to actually get um, a stronger understanding of what happened in the last days of the life of August Ames, so that is one that I'll be discussing in a future Anything Goes segment, but if you would like to tune into this week's Anything Goes segment, I will be talking all about the book Bond of Secrecy, My Life with CIA Spy and Watergate Conspirator E. Howard Hunt, and it is written by St. John Hunt, and has uh, some info in there that has been included by Jesse Ventura. This book was provided to me by Playtime, so as you see, one of the listeners shared something for an Anything Goes segment on Friday, and if you have anything that you would like covered on the channel, whether it's about serial killers, the Zodiac Killer, or absolutely any other subject, anything is fair game on Fridays. So please look out for this book discussion, as well as a future one on The Last Days of August by John Ronson. And now, let's get into some of your questions and comments. A lot of um, people have been asking some really good questions. Let's start with one about the Zodiac Killer from Albert Forrell, who says, In your personal opinion, Ned... Do you think the Zodiac was a criminal mastermind or just lucky to never get caught? I thought about this for like 10 seconds and then I had to decide the Zodiac was lucky not to get caught. While I said in the most recent Zodiac Mondays episode that I thought the Zodiac had at least an IQ of 125, I think he was lucky not to get caught. If what we know about the Blue Rock Springs shooting on July 4th of 1969 is true, then the Zodiac was lucky because you have Officer Richard Hoffman patrolling the park five minutes, ten minutes before the Blue Rock Springs shooting. If Richard Hoffman had been closer, then he would have been able to intercept the Zodiac. Or, well, I mean, I guess let's just get into it. This opens up another can of worms because people begin to draw suspicion upon Richard Hoffman for numerous reasons. It's not only because he's at Blue Rock Springs, so close to the time of the shooting which saw the murder of Darlene Farron, but it's also because he's mentioned in Robert Graysmith's book as attending a party that was held at Darlene Farron's house. 
Officer Richard Hoffman was at the painting party. Now, number one, it appears that the painting party never happened, and this is something that comes to us from Dean Farron, the husband of the late Darlene Farron, saying that there was no painting party at all. This is just Robert Graysmith fudging the facts. This is Graysmith lying. And uh, Drew Beeson said a very good uh, word on his channel, the Drew Beeson, but he has a show called The Zodcast there, and he said, that's Graysmithing. People just need to incorporate that into the English language. When someone is saying a sentence that is half true and half false, that is graysmithing. So, um, with Richard Hoffman, a lot of suspicion falls upon him. But when I did the episode about suspect ratings, I gave Richard Hoffman an 8 out of 10, meaning li of likelihood of having, you know, connection to the crimes. But I had to give the caveat, the condition, I had to give the preliminary warning that... I do not think that Richard Hoffman was the Zodiac Killer, just some greater involvement, because it appears that there is some type of shadowy connection to Darlene Farron, or it's a question mark. That's why I said shadowy. There's something that has been either created by Robert Graysmith as a blatant fabrication, or, well, I mean, like, let's look at the facts. Richard Hoffman is at the park where Darlene Farron was shot and killed just minutes before that happened. Was he turning a blind eye to something? Or some people expand upon this in what is known as the policeman thrill-kill club theory. But no matter what, you have someone who, let's just take this at face value, you have someone who committed a murder minutes after a police officer left the park. So that, that guy was extremely lucky. Someone who commits the murder of Paul Stein on October 11th of 1969 and walks away from it, that person was lucky. Now, I'm going to say something that might be a little bit controversial, but let's get away from the policeman thrill-kill club theory, and let's look at the Zodiac hoax theory. If indeed this is the Zodiac hoax theory that one person was writing letters taking credit for murders that he didn't commit, I wouldn't call that person a mastermind. Instead, I would say that that person is um, someone who is showing an enormous amount of crime scene awareness, police investigation awareness, and there is a there's a very high amount of intelligence going into the Zodiac hoax theory, but did that actually happen? Was there no Zodiac killer and there was just a letter writer? It's not the Zodiac killer hoax, it's the Zodiac co-conspirator mystery. So, um, I mean, that's just something that I would like to say in response to that. I'm not endorsing the hoax theory, being very clear about that. And, um, on that note, I would like to uh, say that I talked a lot about the, um, hoax theory in the episode that came out um, recently on the uh, True Crime Talk radio segment that is going to be done on Tuesdays. In addition to uh, the Monday, Wednesday, and Friday segments, I've also added a True Crime Talk radio segment that will come out on Tuesdays, and for the next coming months, for the summer, there will be a deep dive segment into the disappearance of Donna Lass, which occurred in 1970. And a great way to follow along with all of these is by visiting Launchpad 1. You can download the show for free, take it on the go anywhere and anyhow. And by download, I mean you can take the audio as a pure podcast available at Launchpad 1, free downloads. Another great way to support the show is by visiting the Teespring page 
all kinds of uh, t-shirts are available now, almost all sizes and colors, Black Box Online Radio, as well as the wonderful Being Weird is Not a Crime. And that was actually an idea that was suggested by one of the listeners as well. Professor Stewart came up with the um, plan for that one. Big thank you to him. Now, to go back to um, one of the questions that um, has been shared here, Mr. Barlow also asked a very good Zodiac Killer question when he said, Is Zodiac more serial killer or terrorist? Also, I had to think for about 10 seconds with this one, and I had to decide that the Zodiac is definitely more of a terrorist. Things like the bus bomb letter, talking about planting a a bomb, talking about attacking a school bus, and going to get the kitties as they come bouncing off the bus. That is terrorism. And even back to the absolute first time that I heard about the Zodiac Killer watching America's Most Wanted as a kid, what did John Walsh say? He terrorized the Bay Area. The Zodiac is definitely more about creating this image of terror and um, exporting it out to the public as opposed to actually committing the crimes. The Zodiac murdered five people in the canonical crime. Some people think that um, it's many more. The Zodiac even claimed responsibility for 37 murders. So, um... I'm not sure what to make of that because I am not convinced of any of the unconfirmed Zodiac incidents. I do not endorse any of the unconfirmed Zodiac incidents. Yeah, I said the murder of Sherry Jo Bates is an 8 out of 10, but it's not a 10 out of 10 like Lake Herman Road, Blue Rock Springs, the Lake Berryessa stabbing, and the Paul Stein murder. Those are 10s out of 10. Okay, I can accept that that's Zodiac um, activity with the murder of Sherry Jo Bates that occurred in 1966. There's a high chance that it is, but I don't endorse it. I am not convinced of that. Absolutely not. Until I see some convincing proof otherwise. And that goes for all of the other crimes, whether it's the murder of Ray Davis, the Domingo Edwards murders in 1963, and so on. But um, on that note, I would like to uh, share something that I was watching on the program, Claire Reese. It comes out on CBS. Um, I think they've done the season finale. It seemed like the season finale. Like, I was just watching some of the episodes last night, catching up with that one, and I get it on Paramount+, Plus. that's why I said the CBS thing, but I watch everything on demand these days. And I brought up a line from the show Claire Reese previously on some of these AMAs when I said that there was uh, this quotation, He's so cold, but he wants you to think that he's on fire. And granted, it's a fictional show talking about a fictional serial killer. I don't even think they were inspired by the Zodiac Killer for that. He's so cold, but he wants you to think that he's on fire. And I've said that one in the past, but I think the Zodiac was like that. Now, here's something else that they shared on that show in one of the episodes that I was watching just last night. They, the uh, fictional Clarice said, he wants to have an audience. He only comes to life when people are watching. Okay, that's something else to think about the Zodiac Killer with. And then finally... In that wonderful season finale, if it was indeed a season finale, I only said wonderful because I don't really uh, know what that was. I mean, I'll just watch, you know, episode 10, episode 10, 11, 12, 13. Maybe they'll do another one. But here's something that they shared on the show. He wants to recreate mythology. All of those things seem to be about the Zodiac Killer. And yeah, they're talking about some fictional serial killer, but the Zodiac is like that. Look no further than the 408 cipher. When I die, I will be reborn in paradise, and those whom I have killed will be my slaves. 
The Zodiac wants an audience, that's why he's writing in these taunts, whether it's the hoax theory, the multiple killers theory, the policeman, the real kill club, or a single perpetrator. The Zodiac is operating that way. He wants an audience. Whoever's writing those letters wanted an audience, and not only writing letters, but creating ciphers and cryptograms and mailing them into newspapers, the taunting letters, addressing police officers by name even at time. This person truly comes to life when he is operating in front of um, people who will listen to him or people who will read his writings. And then, absolutely, the Zodiac is trying to recreate mythology. And this could be done not only um, with egocentrism, like I'm so full of myself that I'm practically a god of creation. Yeah, I'm sure someone is trying to act out these fantasies of importance, but also the person who is behind this is trying to um, perhaps cover up from some very bad childhood experiences, and they talk about this on Clarice as well, that, okay, this person must have had some type of very bad relationship with their mother and their father, maybe even um, the loss of a sibling growing up, and they blame their parents for that. Okay, there's some reason why this person is lusting after power. And a lot of these things were mentioned in the most recent episode that I did for Zodiac Mondays. And I would like to uh, get that to that one because Colonel Reb said um, something about the profile that I had created. The Zodiac was probably heterosexual, but you reach age 30 without getting laid. He would probably take anything he could get. I mean, I don't believe the Zodiac Killer ever had a girlfriend in his teen years or his college years, like at the ages of 18 to 22. He was in what the manosphere likes to call the sexual desert. So um, I think that the Zodiac Killer was someone who was perhaps feeling that he was denied certain experiences, and then he created um, this persona as a way of getting revenge at society. And at a point, at a point where I am in agreement with Michael Cole, it started out as developing animosity toward heterosexual couples because he felt that he didn't get to have the experiences that they did. Animosity toward heterosexual couples, not homosexual, because uh, some people look at the Zodiac Killer mystery in a different way. At Lake Herman Road, Blue Rock Springs, and Lake Berryessa, there is a man and a woman present, a heterosexual couple. No matter how well they knew each other, no matter if somebody had another girlfriend somewhere, sure, they did. But looking at them as heterosexual couples, and some people think that the Zodiac Killer was gay. And the reason why he targeted heterosexual couples is he was wrestling with his feelings of homosexuality, whether it's that Aphrodite theory that there is a female presence that is um, behind a lot of this, meaning that it's an internal presence, like a masculine side and a feminine side within one person, and this guy's battling his gay feelings, as well as he is also resenting heterosexual couples because they can live outwardly and have very public and open experiences, whereas he was unable to do so. So, um, I mean, there, it's definitely been talked about a lot. I mean, it's Paul Avery even interviewed a forensic psychiatrist who knows a lot more about the human brain and experiences than I do, but I still have to say that I think the Zodiac Killer was, um, was a heterosexual male. I don't believe that the Zodiac Killer was gay. Now, going on to a question that has come in on that True Crime Talk Radio 
episode that I did uh, last Tuesday. It's called Zodiac Manson plus Dr. Phil Grande. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about Dr. Phil and Dr. Todd Grande, who runs a YouTube channel. And this is, comes to us from Earl Pipe, who says, Why do people consider the fact that Charles Manson could have been MK Ultra mind-controlled by shadowy orgies and agencies such an unthinkable, outrageous concept? when the government's own prosecution narrative against Manson was that he had the assassins under his own complete mind control. Now, the reason why people view it as outrageous is they do not believe that a link has been established between Charles Manson and the CIA. They're going to say that Manson went to the free clinic at Haight-Ashbury and he saw the doctor, Jolly West, who then goes on to be the psychiatrist for Jack Ruby, who is heavily connected to MKUltra. All right, so he crossed paths with somebody once. How does that mean that he was brainwashed into orchestrating the Tate LaBianca murders? Yeah, they created this narrative that Charles Manson was a cult leader and that he um, put the plan into action. What is the established link? I mean, Brian Davis, the host of the Tate LaBianca radio program, did a whole episode on this talking about what is the significance of Tom O'Neill's chaos. All right, there is this... Um, narrative that has been established that Charles Manson is at the Spawn Ranch, Charles Manson is at the Free Clinic for the, um, at Haight-Ashbury, and what is the unifying connection? The skeptics do not believe that that has been put into place, but, um, no, don't misunderstand me. It's entirely possible that Manson was, um, the result of MK Ultra. It's just, I don't think there's any proof that has been made available to the general public that the CIA was behind the Tate-LaBianca murders, or they're doing experiments on people to see what happened, and then they're just um, documenting Manson through the media coverage, and it's all part of Operation Terrify America to destroy the hippie movement, because the hippie movement was becoming uh, somewhat powerful, or it is somewhat uncontrollable. It's something that the global elites and the New World Order were unable to control. So what they did was they they uh, preyed on people's emotions, firstly in 1965, by introducing a very pro-Earth um, message, in short, trying to get people to die for the Earth so that they would decrease the surplus population because the global elites, the oligarchs, they're absolutely obsessed with population control. Prince Philip talked about it all the time, even in the 1980s, saying that he wanted to die and be reborn as a deadly virus so that he could decrease the surplus population. He also had many comments about overpopulation as well. And this stems back to the 1700s with an Italian writer named Giovanni Gianmaria Ortes, who uh, was all about the carrying capacity thinking that the world could not support more than 3 billion people. Now, maybe Ortes actually believed that, but the global elites latch onto that because a smaller population can be easily controlled. Maybe you've heard something about the Georgia Guidestones that talks about decreasing the population to 500 million. And one way you do it is you get people to stop having children and promoting this idea that they need to not have children or they need to die for the earth because the earth cannot support a large number of people. And this expands upon the Atwa thinking that air, trees, water, animals, or something like that. I'm not even the, um, well, I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not a believer of that, as you can see very clearly. 
but people need to appreciate the air, the trees, the water, and the animals, and those things need to take precedent over human life. And it's a way about uh, playing on people's emotions to get them to do certain things. And uh, the climate change skeptics out there will simply tell you that global warming is a hoax that was created by the British Empire in 1965. Being clear, I also do not endorse that. I wanted to shout that from the rooftops, but other people have talked about that because in the 1960s they were very worried by they, I mean the global elites, the oligarchs, the New World Order, and the British Empire, that these pro-movements of conscious awareness are going to be very detrimental to their power structure. So what they did was they took control of it, they played into it, they grabbed the bull by the horns, and they said something even more extreme. Now, how does this get to Charles Manson? Destroying the hippies, showing that the image of sex, drugs, and rock and roll was a bad thing. I mean, it's not, but they created this image that, oh, if you listen to rock and roll and you have sex and you do drugs, then you're going to end up like one of Manson's followers. You're going to be like Leslie Van Houten or Susan Atkins or Patricia Krenwinkel and spending the rest of your life in prison. And that t at the time, it was the death penalty. All of those people received the death penalty, and it wasn't until 19, um, was it, uh, oh, I just had the date, just drew a mental blank, was it 72, when they overturned the death penalty in California, and um, then that was, um, all the sentences were commuted to life in prison. Now, we have a comment that came to us from Kyle Hanna on the episode, The Domingos Edwards Murders, and Kyle Hanna says, we will never know if this was the Zodiac Killer or not. The Domingos Edwards murders occurred near Gaviota Beach in Santa Barbara, California, a Gaviota State Park, excuse me, on a beach nearby Santa Barbara, and this occurred on June 4th of 1963 that saw the murders of Robert Domingos and Linda Edwards. They were murdered in the early afternoon on a senior skip day. So some people think that this was the Zodiac Killer. Other people think that it was someone who had some mental instability issues but was a sexual predator who just saw a car that was parked along the side of the road, Highway 101 in California, and came down and sex attempted to sexually assault Linda Edwards, cutting her swimsuit with a knife. And we do not actually know where the swimsuit was cut because Linda Edwards was murdered, shot with a uh, 22 caliber gun, and her body was dragged to a seaside shack, but she was dragged alongside her back. And s some people think that maybe the perpetrator simply wanted to... Um, just expose her breasts so that he could look at them in somewhat of a perverted gesture. Or it could even be possible that um, he contemplated sexually assaulting her post-mortem but did not. Or maybe he wanted to humiliate her. All the possibilities have been stated because we do not know who committed the Gaviota shooting. And um, on to the next comment here. We have one that came in on an older episode called Billy Joe Jenkins True Crime Q&A. I learned about the murder of Billy Joe Jenkins from the Lord and Arts channel back in 2018, 2017 and 18. I was absolutely obsessed with Lord and Arts. John Lord and hosted, um, I mean, he used to host five shows and he moved it down to three and now it's just two, but sometimes does a Wednesday episode. And on the Lord and Arts channel, he did an episode on the murder of Billy Joe Jenkins from Hastings in the United Kingdom. Billy Joe Jenkins was taken in by a foster family, and her foster father was named Sean Jenkins. Sean spelled S-I-O-N. No relation, though, just a coincidence. And it's a very um, long, complicated story, but there was um, a day when Billy Joe Jenkins was supposed to be painting a patio door, 
And they went to um, go to the store, and Sean Jenkins got into the car with his other two daughters, and they he drove around in a circle, kind of awkwardly, right? But also he said that he simply forgot his wallet or uh, something like that. I don't want to get too bogged down on the details. But then he went back into the house where Billy Joe was supposedly painting the patio door alone. He was in the house for three minutes, and then he comes back out, no signs of and he struggled, there's no blood on his clothes, and in that three-minute wi window, the prosecution argued that Billy Joe Jenkins was murdered, then Sean Jenkins uh, drives away and just goes to the paint store with his other daughters, and when they come home, they find Billy Joe has been murdered, and then one of the things the prosecution will use against Sean Jenkins is they had between 150 to 160 micro-droplets of Billy Joe's blood on his fleece, on the uh, fleece shirt that he was wearing, and the defense later came up with the explanation that this actually happened because he found his foster daughter murdered. So he first grabbed her body and he picked her up a little bit. And they said that what those micro droplets were caused from is a post-mortem exhaling of a bloody mist. And one of the reasons why Sean Jenkins was also exonerated of this, he did go spend some time in jail, but he was exonerated because um, they said that if he had killed his foster daughter with blunt force trauma, then he would have had micro droplets of blood on both the front of his fleece and the backside, and they were only found on the front. But most people look at the timeline for this. You think some guy, okay, he stops at the house for three minutes, three minutes he would have had alone with her. He goes in and he goes out, and that he murdered his foster daughter cleans up so that there, there's no visible blood on his clothing, doesn't show any signs of committing a murder and then drives to a hardware store or wherever they went. And the comment comes to us from Sweep Sings, who recently left this on the Billy Joe Jenkins True Crime Q&A. I'm suspicious of the three-minute window that comes from a daughter who was fairly young. It might have been ten minutes for all we know. I think that is an absolutely brilliant observation because I have a five-part series on Billy Joe Jenkins here on this channel. It is done in the old-fashioned black box recordings plus the Q&A that, um, sweep sings was just uh commenting on and that's a good point who's to say it actually was a three minute window Who, what if it was 10 minutes and they the kids are in the car just kind of like daydreaming spacing out maybe even getting caught up in a little bit of conversation and that sean jenkins actually did it i mean to this day i cannot tell you that he actually committed the murder of billy joe jenkins or not when i did that five-part series though I began to think that, from the beginning, absolutely, he is guilty. He got away with murder. This guy is a very destructive individual. He needs to be back behind bars. But by the end of that five-part series, I had a big reversal. And I decided that um, I actually began to think that he was innocent and that he is an unlikable personality. But what is my favorite saying? Being weird is not a crime. And I think a lot of the reasons why people do... Um, think that Sean Jenkins is even still guilty is because he appeared on a program that was hosted by Trevor McDonald, and he did a very public interview with, um, well, with the network, and well, it was broadcast nationwide, and he was acting very excited, and he's talking about um, the murder of his foster daughter, and he, as uh, John Lorden said, he tries to put himself in line with the interviewer. He's like, oh yes, I was doing awkward things, exactly, of course I was uh, driving around in a circle, I mean, people can forget their wallet, or people can 
drive around and then go back home and get something. Who hasn't done that? I just did that two weeks ago. I was driving to work and, oh, crap, I left something in the house. So I drove back and I got it. It was a banana, mind you. I like eating bananas on my uh, break time. But whatever. I mean, people do stuff like that. However, though, I certainly didn't have a foster daughter that ended up murdered. So people will look into someone's uh, details. Now, we have one comment that came in about the Zodiac Killer, and this was on an episode about Hal Snook and a handwriting uh, sample. This was called Zodiac Hal Snook Handwriting Match, and was also requested by Gregory, who is one of the listeners. And um, Evan from Texas wrote into the channel saying, I can confirm that the writing on the Lake Berryessa police report is the hand of Hal Snook. I have examples of his handwriting that I used in my own videos. I think another commenter had, go had a good suggestion that someone else may have filled in this particular form for him. Apparent, perhaps, interestingly, someone tried to claim on my channel that the Lake Berryessa police report was actually written by his assistant and had first-hand knowledge of this. When pressed about their first-hand knowledge and pointing out that it's the assistant who types the notes, not writes them, you can actually see the name of the assistant in the typed report, the comment mysteriously vanished. I'm being 100% clear. After the Lake Berryessa stabbing on September 27th of 1969, I believe the um, police report was written by Hal Snook, the one that is the strongest sample of his handwriting, and I think that was Hal Snook. I don't think that was any assistant, and Evan even provided a much more solid explanation. Hal Snook is the prime suspect in the Zodiac Hoax theory for writing the letters, not committing the murders, but writing the letters. Once again, Zodiac Hoax. Someone was writing letters for um, a mur murder spree that he did not commit. So I responded to Evan from Texas by saying, Hi, Evan. To be clear, I 100% believe the Lake Berryessa police report was written by Hal Snook, but I would like to ask you something. The critics of the hoax theory often say that Hal Snook had motive, rhyme, or reason to write the letters. What did I say? Wow, I wrote a lousy comment. I really should be. The critics of the hoax theory do not say that Hal Snook had motive, rhyme, or reason to write the letters. Wow, I butchered that one. Lousy brain. A well-respected narcotics officer in his mid-40s, risking his career, livelihood, and reputation, all for a letter-writing hoax. Let's say Hal Snook did write the letters. Why? And, I mean, I need to rephrase that. The people who criticize the Zodiac hoax theory say that Hal Snook is a guy who would have been 44 years old in 1969. He had a career, he was a well-respected narcotics officer, and he was good at it too. The thing that Thomas Henry Horan always says in interviews is that Hal Snook was someone who could testify at a trial that this batch of meth was cooked in this laboratory by this motorcycle gang's meth cook. He was an expert in that. It sounds like he was a brilliant forensic scientist. And one of the things that I do disagree with Thomas Henry Horan is he presents Hal Snook as somewhat of a gifted underachiever, the kind of person who got demoted in the military because he was being too friendly with his subordinates and that he had a lot of resentment built up, but at the same time also says that he is an absolutely brilliant and gifted narcotics officer. And in the first video that was done by Evan from Texas, if you haven't watched his videos yet on the hoax theory, I highly recommend them. He um, talked about how Hal Snook received the highest decorated honor that a narcotics officer could receive in the state of California. He seems like someone who was very accomplished. Why would he risk everything? 
for a hoax. Now, if someone had actually committed murders, okay, well, I mean, they committed murders, they wanted to, they wanted to cover it up. Look, there are lots of serial killers out there, but this is not the story of a serial killer. It is someone who is just writing in prank letters, more or less. Is it just a sick midlife crisis prank? I'm really not sure. And Halsnook passed away in 2010, so he is not here to um, defend himself. But um, I thank Evan, for, Evan from Texas for listening to the channel all the same. We have a comment that came into us from Kelly Gable on the profiling episode, and Kelly Gable says, Who was the Zodiac Killer? Robert Ivan Nichols. That's who. Um, I really need to do an episode on Robert Ivan Nichols in the future. I mean, a lot of people have requested one about him over the years. And um, Master Movie Critic, though, has one on the Ross Sullivan episode. It's actually the Ross Sullivan Q&A and Master Movie Critic says, In the History Channel series, they talked about Ross Sullivan working in the library when Sherry Jo Bates was killed. Shortly after that, according to the series, he moved to the San Francisco area when the attacks happened. Now, did he actually do that? Did he actually move to San Francisco, or was it Santa Cruz when the attacks were happening? And when cab driver Paul Stein, they realized where the killer was picked up by the cab right after a showing of the Mikado had just finished, and the destination was very close to where Sullivan lived. In previous episodes, though, I've stated that Sullivan could not be placed within 100 miles of any Zodiac crime. Even the names of the producers were something, and Sullivan. Oh yeah, Sol Gilbert and Sullivan, some people have pointed that out. I'll give you that one. I'm just saying... Oh, um, I, I missed one line in the comment. We know Sullivan was in a play earlier in his life where he played the killer. I don't think that was a play. I think that was a short film... But um, I wish the History Channel would have gone more into depth about Sullivan. Absolutely, I do. I, I know what episodes you're talking about, and I was not um, a big fan of those. I think that, um, oh, I just, uh, they were not the uh, most impressive ones there. But um, anyway, Ross Sullivan is a suspect we've gone up and down about, and the long story short is I do not think that he was the Zodiac Killer, and... Um, I would love to watch that short film that he appeared in. I have no idea whatever happened to it, but we, we shall see if it surfaces in the future.